like scary movies. Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Welcome back to the Jumping Scared Podcast. My name's Alex, and I'm joined, as always, by my twin brother, Eric. We are here to bring you probably the the most excited I've been for a podcast in quite a while. We're here to bring you a top 10 of 2019 horror movies. Eric and I have each compiled a separate list from all of the movies that we've seen, and we're going to be hitting that with you. Eric, tell us how you're feeling. Oh, I'm feeling great. This is the first ever Jumping Scared uh, full year review. We started this podcast uh, just like January of this year, or was it Jan or Feb? I th- it may, be, may, may not have been till February, honestly. I, I can't quite remember off the top of my head. Yeah, we, we started pretty early on with our overall top 10 list. So now you guys get another peek into that, peek into what we like with this current 2019 top 10. Yeah, and this is also fun because we started the year, one of our first episodes was a 2019 preview. So we're bookending 2019 with a preview and then a review slash follow up. So I think that's kind of cool to be able to do as well. Yeah, I'll have to go back and listen to that one. I remember a decent amount of the movies we touched on, but I'm I'm betting there's probably some that I haven't even seen <laughs> that we actually talked about. We have seen almost all of them. I know there's a couple for sure. Um, some that didn't actually end up coming out <laughs> in 2019. They got either pushed back or canceled or something. But there are a couple that did come out that we did not see. I know for sure. So uh, with getting started, uh, we are just really quickly going to run through the all the movies we saw. Um, we're not going to spend all this time talking about movies that we didn't really rank that highly but we do want you guys to know that we did take this year fairly seriously uh between the two of us we ended up seeing i think 37 uh unique movies yeah and and i certainly carried eric a bit here uh alex's total scene was 34 and i believe eric's was around 20 no it was like 25 Okay, so clearly carried Alex, adding a lot of, <laughs> a lot of individuality, a lot of uniqueness with some of these movies. But that's what you got to do. You, sometimes some people go harder. Sometimes some people um, are soft. Quality over quantity. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if that comes true. Comes to fruition. All right. So speaking of quantity, here goes the quick rundown, and this will be in alphabetical order. So, forty-seven meters down, uncaged, Annabelle killed, Annabelle comes home, assimilate. Beezlebooth, is that pronounced? Be- Belzebuth. <laughs> Belzebuth. <laughs> Beezlebooth. Beezlebooth. Look behind me. Where is he? Body at Brighton Rock. Braid. Brightburn. Child's Play. Crawl. Doctor Sleep. Eli. Escape Room. Glass. Haga Zusa. Happy Death Day to You. Harpoon. In the Tall Grass, It Chapter 2, Little Monsters, Ma, Midsummer, Pet Cemetery, Pledge, Ready or Not, Satanic Panic, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, Sweetheart, The Haunt, The Headhunter, The Hole in the Ground, The Lighthouse, The Perfection, the Wind, Tigers Are Not Afraid, Us, and Velvet Buzzsaw. Great job reading, Eric. Small correction, I it was my incorrect. I believe it's just called Haunt, not The Haunt. 
So that's going to be Haunt from 2019. That's okay. my bad. Yeah, thanks for setting me up for failure. No big deal. <laughs> uh, yeah, great job reading the list. So like you said, uh, 37 combined unique movies. I'd say for sure a majority majority of these we both saw. Um, we both saw together at least 20 of these, probably close to 24 or so. Um, so I'm excited. I think that we decided, Eric, we're, what we're going to do is... Actually, before we start, are there any other movies that came out in 2019 that you did not see that you really would have liked to? Yeah, there was one movie that was on my list, but I felt like towards the end of the stretch here, I had seen too many horror comedies to mm-hmm. just throw this one in there, but it's uh, One Cut of the Dead. It's a Asian zombie comedy movie. The, okay. the premise is that... Um, they are filming a zombie movie and then an actual outbreak happens <laughs> during filming. And so like, there's like, it's like the figuring out stuff as it's going down. It sounds, sounds pretty cool. It got pretty good reviews on the internet. Okay. Another horror comedy that, um, I don't actually, I didn't hear that much about it once it came out. Zombieland Double Tap just came out in theaters in October. I did not hear much buzz after it. I was, I was kind of excited beforehand, but then by the time it came out, for whatever reason, I lost my excitement and then just never got around to seeing it yeah kind of kind of similar there i didn't hear a whole lot about it i did have a co-worker who went and saw it and they said it's kind of exactly what you would expect from the first one um which is a, i mean that's a kind of a good recommendation the first yeah, that's, that's certainly good. not a bad thing um so i that's definitely one i would check out if i'm just bored in the next couple months once it hits vod if it hasn't already yeah i think so too um a couple more i had on my radar that i don't even know that much about um i trapped the devil sounded interesting life changer sounded interesting and then i had just started the other day the golem on netflix i wasn't extremely into the vibe i yeah so i never actually finished it but those are a couple that i had on my radar so Okay, uh, so before we get into the actual rankings, uh, how about let's go through a couple of honorable mentions that had good good bits to it, just not quite good enough to crack those top tens. So why don't you go ahead and give us your first one, Al? Sure. Um, my first one is going to be Sweetheart by director J.D. Dillard. This is one that I was incredibly excited for. I believe we previewed it in our 2019 preview. It came out um, at, oh my gosh, I'm blanking, at the big film festival, uh, Cons? No, the other the beginning. Sundance. Yeah, it came out at Sundance. Uh, it's one that I was look really looking forward to. I actually emailed Blumhouse like in March, asking when the release would be because they didn't have any information online. It's on Netflix now, so this is a recommend from me. It's a very good creature feature, and Eric, I believe you're going to talk about it a bit more during your top ten. So spoilers, but so I, I won't won't go into it too much. I am going to talk about it a little bit more, but I am curious. I can't remember. Did you get a response back? I did email? almost immediately. Uh, Jenna from Blumhouse, shout out Jenna from Blumhouse. She emailed me back saying like, "Oh, thanks, Alex. We really appreciate your interest. Unfortunately, we don't know any more about uh, wide release." at this time which probably was accurate you know back in march it came on to netflix uh, just i think just in december so uh at the time they probably really didn't know so thanks jenna from blumhouse though for a quick response yeah definitely gg blumhouse you don't get that from every uh, ordinary company so yeah i was surprised i've never contacted a movie studio before and i felt a little strange as a doing it for the first time as a 26 year old man but uh (laughs) that's that's where i was and it was it was cool though It it was kind of fun to get that interaction with them oh yeah i can imagine uh, all right, so my first honorable mention is going to be Ma, directed by Tate T- 
Taylor. And uh, Ma, I feel like actually kind of ended up being one of the horror hits of the year. Uh, it got pretty good reception in the theaters, um, kind of snuck up on people, had pretty good word of mouth, and it's they advertised the ever-loving shit out of it. Pretty, you, pretty good marketing campaign, too, because I think it drew up a lot of interest just from the trailer. Yeah, um... Yeah, you're definitely right, but that's it's definitely one of the cases where the trailer did a little bit too much. It uh, also misrepresented the movie a little bit, because the, the movie had a much different tone than I was expecting going in. Which is good, I guess. It's not a bad thing necessarily, but yeah. They definitely showed a little bit too much, kind of took away from some of the more climactic scenes toward the end, but it's still definitely a movie worth watching, and I think it fell like at my 12 spot, so... okay. Um, all right, another one for me is The Perfection. That's coming from director Richard Shepard. We actually talked about this in episode 18 of our podcast, if you want to go back and check it out. I believe it was one of our combined immediate reaction movies. This one was a direct-to-Netflix movie starring uh, Allison Williams, and it was just, I thought, a really well-done, kind of twisty and turny, fun horror movie that uh, used music really well and was just kind of a cool watch. Yeah. All right, my uh, my last one, honorable mention here, or not last one, but next one. I don't know, last one. Who knows? We'll keep going and then go from there. <laughs> I've got four totals. So. Okay, so I can keep going then. Okay, my next up is going to be Harpoon. So this is a pretty uh, under-the-radar movie. It's directed by Rob Grant, and it I can't remember if it literally only casts three people. So it stars three people. I'm pretty sure those are the only three people in the entire movie. And uh, it sees... Uh, it's a boyfriend-girlfriend and the boyfriend-slash-girlfriend's best friend. Uh, they all have a kind of unique relationship, and that relationship is put to the test when they get stranded on a non-functional yacht halfway out the in the ocean. Okay. So that sounds uh, fun. It sounds very fun. It sounds uh, like a maybe the best world, uh, best parts of open water, too. <laughs> there's no un or there's no bad parts oh. to open water too. There's more than a few bad parts to open water too. You just haven't seen it recently enough. Well, that might be true. All right. Uh one of mine uh I guess I'll say my next one is Hold in the Ground by director Lee Cronin. That's going to be coming from episode 8 of our podcast. This is an Irish first-time director. Yeah, this is one that I just really, really liked. I thought the performances by our two leads, a mother and son, were just really captivating. And I thought the modern twist or modern take on the changelings was just fun. I thought it was like almost a fairy tale horror movie, and I thought they did well with it. Yeah. All right, my next one up. This is going to be either... A huge surprise to people who know me super well, or a surprise to people who don't know me very well for even having this as an honorable mention, but that is going to be 47 meters down uncaged. So people who know me well probably expected it to be in the top 10 (laughs) and otherwise would have expected it to be nowhere near honorable mentions. But (laughs) uh, this is a movie that no matter what happened on screen it was going to be good for me because of how much i like sharks and uh well not perfect i thought there were a lot of redeeming qualities to this movie there was the final scene alone the final scene yeah we yeah we podcasted about that one i think we did a double feature with that one and would have been scary stories to tell in the dark that was um, episode 21 Yes. Thank you for being a lot more specific than I am. Um, yeah, it's a fun one. It's it, There's nothing I can say to spoil it. It's just sharks doing shark shit. So if you like sharks doing shark shit, then watch that movie. 
Yeah, that's. I think that's a perfect, <laughs> perfect description of it. All right, I've just I've got two more. I was only going to do one more, but I'm just going to do two more for the heck of it. My first one's going to be Pledge by Daniel Robbins, which we talked about in episode 20. This movie just had ended up being far better than it had any right to be, just based off like the very basic synopsis. I think it was a very fun take on the hazing gone too far. It was very a very original take on that. And Eric, I believe, yeah, you also watched that one because we did the pod episode mm-hmm. about it. Yep. And then my last one, I'm going to do Haunt by directors Scott Beck and Brian Woods. This is a n- extremely fun slasher that t- is set in a high stakes, like, horror house, like a fun house, but like, or a haunted house, I guess. High stakes haunted house. Um, so if you've seen, like, the houses that October built, very different tone. It's much, much more, like, straight-up slasher and really straight to the point. But it's a fun ride. Like, it's it's just one of those movies you have fun with. So, good would you, um Would you compare this one at all to the houses October built or the... Uh I, I, did, were you listening to me? <laughs> did you say that? I did. <laughs> uh, what about I, would you? How would you compare it to the? Uh, not you were that. just ready with your question. You just had zoned me out. You're like, <laughs> okay, was, I'm going I'm to ask about how is October built. I'm just going to wait and wait. Wait. Okay, insert it. I'll be completely honest. I was reading something else okay. off the side, and I assumed you wouldn't touch on it because sometimes <laughs> your connection skills aren't the strongest. Ooh. Okay. All no. Right. What's What's the movie where they uh, they set up like they buy a haunt and set it up, and then stuff goes wrong? Uh, that does not sound familiar to me. They made a second one. Uh, that does not sound familiar. Are you thinking of 31? <laughs> no, I'll find <laughs> it. Um, yeah, that doesn't sound familiar. But this one was just a fun haunted mo- a haunted house movie where I thought the the slashers, plural, were, were well done. And, uh, I didn't really connect that much with the main characters, but that, I don't know, at that point it didn't really matter to me. It was just a fun ride, so... Okay, whatever. I can't find it, but really <laughs> okay. quickly before we move on to our actual top tens, how would you feel about doing a really quick uh, top one Razzie award for the worst Ooh. movie you saw of the year? I actually have a list of three that I would love to include all three on. <laughs> okay, then I can include my three. Okay, perfect. Uh, you want to start us off? I will start us off. I'm just going to bang, bang it. So my bottom three of the year were Braid by Mitzi Pirone, Velvet Buzzsaw, by Dan Gilroy, and Hagazusa by Lucas Feigefeld. All right, and my three are Body at Brighton Rock by Roxanne Benjamin, touchdown in episode 19. Hagazusa, like Eric said, Lucas Feigefeld, episode 19. And Happy Death Day to You, Christopher Landon, episode 25. Those, right. are, those are six solid choices. <laughs> I, I think so, too. You didn't see Body at Brighton Rock, but I watched ahead of time and told you not to. Yes. Um, <laughs> just, likewise, likewise with Velvet Buzzsaw. Yeah. All right, Eric, with all this out of the way, are you excited? You ready to get into our top ten? Let's, as the children say, effing go. <laughs> as the children, as the Eric's say. All right, I'm going to just start us off, if that's all right with you. And I'm going to start off with a horror comedy called Little Monsters. This is from director Abe Forsyth. Uh, this is, to me, a very fun horror comedy uh, that's a zombie-based horror comedy set at a children's petting zoo. 
And this is a huge emphasis on slapstick, slapstick comedy. It stars, uh, oh no, I'm blanking on her name, but the same woman who is uh, the main Lu- character in Us. Lupita Nyong'o. Lupita Nyong'o, Lupita Nyong'o uh, which this was a very big diversion from her role in Us, and I think she killed it. I think she knocked it out of the park, out of the park, out of the petting zoo to, to be specific. Um, yeah, this one was just fun. Like a lot of laugh out loud moments, a lot of really humorous comedy. Eric, me and you were watching together and we were, we were, we were belly laughing at times. I think the comedy really hit, hit pretty well. And I thought it was a pretty tight story, a pretty tight narrative. It didn't really, uh, drag too much for me at all. So this is one that ended up in my number 10 spot and I gave it a 6.9 out of 10. Cool. Yeah, I, I'm going to eventually have that on my list, so I'll kind of add my thoughts as I go there. Um, Alex did say the title is Little Monsters. Don't get this confused with the 1989 classic starring Fred Savage and Howie Mandel. Uh, yeah, that's, that's less classic to some people, but... Same title, uh, still a banger, so... <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of add my, my thoughts as I get to that movie. Uh, kind of fun fact, and leading into my first choice or my tenth choice, uh, Lupita Nyong'o ended up on my list, I assume your list, twice as our leading lady. She did. And she ended up in the second movie in my number ten spot, which is Us, directed by Jordan Peele, his... Uh, immediate follow-up to the critically acclaimed Get Out. And this is so, as we mentioned, starring Lupita Nyong'o and Gabe Wilson, who is her husband in the movie. Also had Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss as like a family friend. And she had a... She was a pretty good comic relief character. Her, <laughs> whole, her, whole, a, her whole family. A uniquely disturbing or disturbingly unique performance, I suppose. Um, so this movie, I think, is going to be one that's pretty controversial across like all horror fans. Uh, I know there's people who hate it. I know there's people who love it. Uh, and I'm kind of kind of right there in the middle with leaning towards liking it more so than disliking it. Um, I think the, I think the middle is a pretty small island. I think you have pretty big camps at either end, but I don't know if there's too much bridging the gap. I think it really is an extremely divisive. This was amazing. One of the best movies of the year. Uh, I loved like the embolism. I said embolism imagery and symbolism. Or like I just thought this was stupid. It was too ham fisted. I did the message was overdone. Uh, yeah. So I think it's interesting that you kind of float right in the middle, Eric. Yeah. Well, I'm. I, I feel like I'm a uniqueish perspective. Whereas I, I guess I'm, I'm prone to disliking things a lot, and I, I like what I like. But I feel like for the most part, I don't. I don't know. I don't just like arbitrarily dislike something because of my expectations were too high, which I think is a lot of the case with this movie is people expected it to be like 10 times better than Get Out, which is setting kind of an un- impossible standard to achieve. Mm-hmm. And so the, and then also there's there's the weirdos who thought Get Out was like race baiting. And if you're that kind of person, you're obviously not going to like this movie. Well, so yeah. Uh, this this movie, I will say, even though it's only on my 10th spot, had, I think, my most memorable horror scene of the year. And that's with the uh, final scene mixed up with the horror rendition of I've Got Five on it. Yeah, that was... I, I'm going to touch on this when I talk about it. I, 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 I'm i going to rant, I think, on that scene. So I'll, I'll save my thoughts. Okay. Moving on and to then, number nine. Do you have a numerical rating, Eric? Or are you just going to forego Oh, I, I do have a numerical rating. So that was a... 7.1 for me. Okay, so we have pretty similar starting ranges. My 10 has a 6.9 and yours is a 7.1. I was really quickly, uh, what were your bottom three averages for your I, I didn't actually go that low. Uh, 
3.8 for Body at Brighton Rock, and then my third to last was Happy Death Day. So I guess Hagazusa was next at 4.2, and then Happy Death Day at 4.6. Yeah, I was harsher. I went 2.8, 3, and 3.5. Wow. Okay, 2.8. <laughs> yeah. I've right. gone I've gone lower before. Ring's got 0. 0.6. I have gone lower but it's probably been a while i'd have to think about it okay all right number nine scary stories to tell in the dark by director andre overdahl who we had an entire podcast on because we just really like the guy um he did autopsy of jane doe and troll hunter and then a couple other things we touched on in that podcast so we actually talked about this movie in our episode 21 uh, of our pod so me and Eric weren't that familiar with the Scary Story series when we were kids, uh, tangentially aware. I think there were some stories that I actually read in preparation for the movie that I recognized as literally being like told to me at a campfire or just like told friend to friend. Because there were some stories that like I knew I'd never read the book, but I just actually knew. And I knew like a slightly different version. So that was kind of fun. And this is a book series known for its really dark creative imagery with uh, kind of the monsters or the stories with whatever the image kind of pertains to and i thought this movie did a fantastic job of bringing that to life and then an even more fantastic job of weaving a story to create a narrative to tie these isolated stories together and actually make sense like i was legitimately interested in uh, in the uh sarah bellows and her family that they created and how this interacted to play into making these short stories come to life uh that was just really cool to me i think i mean maybe if it didn't work for you i could see it not working for you because maybe you were expecting more of an anthology or more just something different but to me i just thought it worked great and then overall i just thought some of the visuals were phenomenal um the scarecrow confrontation scene without getting into too many spoilers just the way the um the bully uh got chased down by the scarecrow and then accosted was great the pale lady hospital chase um where you just can't escape whatever corridor you turn down there were some really cool scenes some really cool visuals and i thought this was a very well executed movie yeah you uh you really hit the nail on the head for me you basically uh word for word wrote us just illustrated one of the points i had written down that the story was just incredibly compelling to me uh, how are they? How they were able to maneuver in and out of the classic stories while maintaining the integrity of the plot was just really well done, and I think that just speaks to Andre Overdahl and his interesting experience as a director. I mean, going from Troll Hunter to Autopsy of Jane Doe, they're both unique movies in that one you're confined to a, a morgue the entire movie, and you have to create a whole lot of backstory without really leaving an operating room it's a test in and of itself and then troll hunter is obviously uh <laughs> speaks for itself as far as telling a story so i think andre overdahl was able to draw on his experience from the past and really uh really capture the the spirit of those stories and have that come through on film not only during like the actual pivotal story scenes but as everything wrapped up and the characters learning about the history of the books from sarah bellows uh, just really fantastic job yeah, I absolutely agree. And so at this point, uh, Andre Overdahl and Mike Flanagan are two guys that anything they come out with new, I'm going to drop everything and watch right away because uh, they've just completely gained my trust as uh, horror directors. So I'm, I'm excited. Hopefully, uh, I mean, he, he's kind of taken a bit more gaps between projects as whereas Flanagan's been pretty bang, 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 bang. But if they keep doing quality, anytime they come out with something, I'm going to be excited. Yes, completely agree. 
All right, Eric, you want to hit us with your number? Oh, and uh, that was a 7.1 out of 10 for me. Nice. All right, moving on for number nine for me, I am going to stay on the trend of box office smashes because my number nine is Midsummer, directed by Ari Aster. Uh, once again, this is a large follow-up movie, so Us was Jordan Peele's follow-up to Get Out, and Midsummer is Ari Aster's follow-up to Hereditary. So uh, Hereditary kind of, uh, it got the label of like the scariest movie of all time. Uh, that was just like what the critics were throwing around, general consensus. And I always like, whenever that happens, it's like, really? I've seen a lot right. of horror movies before. But Hereditary really did deliver. Uh, deliver in a... Um, I won't say an overused um, subgenre, but definitely a genre that you've seen fleshed out a lot in like the supernatural haunting. But it was unique enough and scary enough and uh, visceral <laughs> enough oh, to uh, really make an, an uh, make a make an impression on you. Still, yeah, I think a lot of scenes that stick with you from Hereditary really aren't even that supernatural. You have some pretty uh, hauntingly gruesome scenes that are just just well executed either acting or uh visual effects that they just did that weren't supernatural at all so that was cool as well and so midsummer after seeing it that was one of the movies was like wow i'm really glad i saw that but i'd never want to see it again yep (laughs) i think i've changed pace on that and the reason is i wanted to familiarize myself with how it opened again like i remembered the general idea uh i did not remember how uncomfortable that opening scene is where we uh so it stars Florence Pugh as Danny. Danny's our main character. And it starts by she's trying to get a hold of her sister and she can't do it. Oh my gosh. And it flashes over with this intense lighting, a violin playing in the background. And you discover a scene of Danny's sister, uh, mother and father have been gassed to death using carbon monoxide uh, with tubing like taped all over their mouths to like and really get the gas in. Well, that's that's the, the creepiest thing. It's snaking all through the house. The camera yeah. is panning over the tubing. You're just expecting it to deliver right into their room, and then it zooms in on the sister, just like yeah, taped over her mouth, like her eyes are all messed up. Like that was that was so intense. And there was uh, so the Danny's reaction to that. Uh, I didn't realize, but is like an exact mirror of a scene that she does later. So I see we're kind of staying spoiler free, right? For this podcast. I say more or less. Yeah. Okay. So I won't say the exact scene, but it's a, uh, there's a major callback, which I didn't realize really at all during it from that opening scene in a very pivotal scene in the later parts of the movie. So I think just seeing that alone is kind of, uh, got me thinking, Hey, just go rewatch this and maybe you can pick up on some stuff that you didn't and you can maybe appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah, and I'll talk about Midsummer a bit too later, but the, just a lot of the visuals were in, in, in incredible. Um, between if it was a drug influenced scene or if it was just like a, a weird camera angle to make you feel uncomfortable, I thought the cinematography and the visuals were just fantastic. So I think that alone is a, a compelling rewatch just to pay attention more to that. Oh, for sure. Uh, and so closing that out, I gave Midsummer a 7.2 out of 10. Okay. All right, moving right forward to number eight. Uh, this is one that I know, Eric, you have not seen. It is The Wind by Emma Tammy. This is briefly talked about in episode 20 of our podcast. And I'll give you a quick description, just so you're more familiar right off the top of your head. A plains woman faces the harshness and isolation of the untamed land in the western frontier of the late 1800s. So 
this is just, I think, an extremely well-executed movie on multiple fronts. Um, I think it really emphasizes the logical terror and uncertainty with like life in isolation, especially in this isolated part of the world where your support system is potentially just yourselves. You might have a neighbor like a mile away. Uh, it's just really intense, like something as simple as childbirth. You don't realize how horrifying it can be. And I think that was really compelling. Uh, I also, I've talked about this so many times. I like when movies play with time and when you get setting slash backstory piecewise or in a different order than is kind of a natural storytelling rhythm. Uh, you might get, if there's five parts, A, B, C, D, E, you might get B, E, A, D, C. And then by the end, you're like, oh, so this is a movie that did that really well. Um, yeah, this was just a great watch for me. And this is a director who really has not done a whole lot. Um, also, a low-key proud moment of mine. I do not use our horror podcast Twitter very often, but the official Twitter of The Wind retweeted me when I tweeted out my praise for this movie after watching it. So was it wasn't was. your praise for that movie also included with your disgust toward Tagazusa? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, 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 I said the wind was what I wanted Hagazusa to be before seeing it because Hagazusa got a lot more shine than the wind. So it was, to me, it was kind of a direct comparison just based off the attention one was getting and I thought the other was significantly better. So, so the, way, the way you've described this and how you've compared it to Hagazusa, does it have uh, the witch vibes at all? Mm, a little bit the witch is such a specific feeling to me the the way it does it that i i want to say no it's certainly more (laughs) modern than the witch and i think it's i don't know it's a bit different okay (laughs) that's okay so yeah this is one that i gave a 7.2 out of 10 so a lot of these movies pretty close but that i i I mean I, i like all these movies a lot that i have in my top 10 so all right. Um, moving on, my number eight was a movie Alex has already discussed, Little Monsters. Once again, Abe Forsyth. Uh, this is comedy horror, and the I guess I've got one more comedy horror coming up on my list. This is a, this was a year uh, where we saw a lot of pretty solid horror comedies. Uh, I guess it depends how you feel about the genre, but it de- in my opinion, definitely a lot of solid uh, comedy horrors. And just in general, you see a lot more horror movies using um humor as dramatic relief from like the plot like you see that um with the dialogue and at chapter one and two just having the kids bullshitting around uh you see that in uh really everything it's 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 been a way to kind of break up the suspense a little bit let things build and then have them calmed over by some quick little remark um and it's honestly it's something i'm okay with as long as it's done well it's just another just another technique to uh kind of get your point across so this movie uses a lot more comedy (laughs) than uh other movies would but i thought it was good i i could see some people getting tired of like their shtick but i think they do a pretty good job about it um lupita nyong'o she uh she really she, so she's miss caroline she's the teacher she absolutely kills it she's the, the star of the movie and i read a kind of fun fact so they uh pretty liberally use taylor swift's shake it off song mm. and they uh, they really wanted that song and they had a hard time getting the rights to it and what ended up actually getting them the rights was lupita nyong'o uh directly reaching out to taylor swift 
kind of telling her how important the song was to the movie and oh that's super cool because that actually it it, to say it was super important almost seems like a stretch but i think it was actually like it was a motif and i think it really did add to the movie yeah for sure uh yeah i I think so too and it's it's cheesy but I, i really did enjoy like the uh the, the turnaround for our main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I do not remember his name. <laughs> I don't remember his name at all. I didn't write it down. That's okay. Oh, uh, Ale- his name is Alexander England, and he played Dave. Dave the Dave, yeah, Dave yeah. the Burnout Brother. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, it's a fun movie. Definitely worth a watch. Easy watch. Uh, it'll it'll keep you chuckling, but also the plot is is pretty fun too. It's a fun zombie flick. So I gave this one, Little Monsters, a 7.3 out of 10. Nice. All right. Number seven. My number seven comes out of Mexico. It's a Spanish language film. It is Tigers Are Not Afraid, I think originally called Vuelven. Uh, this is coming from director Isa Lopez, who looking at her IMDb hasn't done a whole lot that's uh, noteworthy. So this movie is set in a small village that has been absolutely ravaged, decimated by cartels and then drug and or human trafficking. So this is kind of to me, this is a Pan's Labyrinth light, like a light L-I-T-E set in a modern, more realistic setting that kind of tones down the fantasy quite a bit, but really embraces the real life horror that is like living in kind of a place like this. And uh, interesting tidbit so almost all the main characters you have some adult antagonists but all the main characters your protagonists are all children pretty young and no, none of the actors had any acting experience prior to this film which is what the director wanted so they had like tryouts of like a couple, a couple hundred kids and then they narrowed it down to about five or six that were the main ones but none of them like had acting experience at all hmm. so i thought that was really cool uh had one of the most hauntingly gruesome scenes for me uh, <laughs> that I'm not going to spoil because it's uh, kind of late in the movie. But uh, yeah, this was just, like I said, Pan's Labyrinth is one of my favorite movies. And this had a lot of the same vibes, a lot of the same feeling where you're kind of crossing back and forth between fantasy and reality, just toning back the fantasy a bit. And fun fact, Stephen King remarked, this is one terrific film, both tough and touching. Two minutes in, I was under its spell. So, you know me. I saw that Stephen King remarked about this movie, so I had to had to include a quote. So this is a 7.4 out of 10 for me. Yes, because we aren't going to bring up Stephen King enough on this podcast. I, I honestly don't think I'm going to talk about him at all. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I Okay. What was your score? <laughs> that was, uh, I gave it a 7.4 out of 10. 7.4. Okay, that's a pretty glowing recommendation. Um, comparing anything to Guillermo del Toro is uh, very, very high speak. So, oh, and I believe Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro gave this uh, his top five of the year as well. I think uh, from two thousand seventeen when it debuted in mm-hmm. a um, a uh, festival. I think it was like his number two of the year. So. Wow. Okay. All right. Moving on to my number seven. Uh, that is going to be J.D. Dillard's Sweetheart. So this was your honorable mention, correct? Yes. Okay. So I enjoyed this one even a little bit more than Alex did. Um, so as he discussed, it's it's really just a survival story. We It stars Kiersey Clemens as our uh, main character, Jen. And she ends up uh, washed up 
on a beach, very isolated island, only ocean to sea, no land anywhere near her. And she initially gets washed up with a buddy, buddy passes away, and then it's just her living on and trying to uh, figure out a way to survive in this solo world. And uh, it's it's got very much castaway vibes. It's got lost vibes, and it's also got um, you could almost say like potentially unreliable narrator, uh, just because of isolation by yourself. Can't really trust if this person's going crazy, if the things they're doing and seeing are all real. Um, and it's just a really fun journey. I think our, our uh, character Jen does a really good job of displaying how that isolationism would affect you mentally and physically on a day-to-day basis. Um, And then, obviously, Alex mentioned this is a creature feature, and they do a lot of fun stuff with the creature. I'll just leave it at that. Um, This is also another movie that gets me to get pretty close to the ocean and have some pretty cool ocean scenes, which can't do wrong with that. So this was fun for me. Uh, it's, It's a... I don't even. I don't think I'd call it a slow burn. I guess some you could kind of call it a slow burn. I, I probably wouldn't. Some people might, but I wouldn't. Because it, it gets going like it's pretty intense from like maybe fifteen minutes on. Uh, yeah. Even when it's slow, the anticipation of what could happen is just still in the back of your mind. Right. So, yeah. yeah it, this is one real quick, Eric. I want to add. I without spoiling it, this is one. A lot of times creature features or if you're doing your own unique monster people don't commit and lean into it Uh, this is a movie where that is not the case they commit they lean into it have a unique creature design and i really appreciate that that's a really good point i i yeah i'm with alex either go all the way in or leave it completely to the imagination and these guys go all the way in so regardless of what you think of like the design itself kudos for trying it's a very hard thing to pull off absolutely and this uh, one other reason I really liked this movie is uh, maybe it's silly for me to say this because it's probably never going to happen to me, but it's incredibly easy to immerse yourself in this situation. Like it's very easy to put yourself in Jen's uh, makeshift sandals, if you will, um, just because <laughs> it's 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 such a simple concept. Like yeah, I guess maybe I could get stranded on an island, and I think like. That's always been, it's not like a fantasy, but like... Oh, that is something every single child growing (laughs) up at at some point. How many movie or TV shows or does some sort of special or episode? And it's it's ingrained in you. I mean, you have to be... like, And it usually is portrayed as like a fantasy. Like, oh, getting away from technology, you'll be able to make this really cool jungle hut. You'll have uh, monkey butlers, you know. Everyone's thought about it for sure. Yeah. So, Sweetheart, I gave a 7.7 out of 10 all right and number six this is one that eric's already touched on it's going to be midsummer from ari Aster, which we covered in episode 18 of the podcast uh like eric said hugely anticipated follow-up to hereditary to me i don't think it quite lived up to that standard uh i think it delivered solidly though it definitely hit a lot of the expectations i had Florence Pugh was phenomenal. Uh, her characterization of Danny in grief and emotional distress and just living in an abusive, manipulative relationship. Wow. Like, oh my gosh, I felt for her. And I felt like she just played the character so well. Like, it just, 
you could empathize with her so much and kind of see why she was falling into the rhythm she was falling into. But at the same time, as an outsider, you're like wanting to scream, like, get out of there. What are you doing? And I think her acting was just absolutely great. Um, This movie had some of my favorite visuals of the year. Um, We talked about already following the carbon monoxide hose through the house uh the camera angle inverting while driving on the car was so cool all of the tripping scenes with the fuzziness or the just complete kind of lack of normalness uh wow it just really made the viewer uncomfortable and appreciate kind of the emotional perspective of danny of being in this uncomfortable situation and as the movie played out i don't think it was extremely unpredictable by any means but i think even with that being the case it still took you to the end in an interesting way and it was still fun to kind of take that ride even if it wasn't the most uh unique or unpredictable kind of way to get there yeah you could uh you could say that this movie is after the first scene is just a long journey of Danny figuring out what she needed and wanted from life. She, I mean, she was basically just clinging to this relationship because that's all she had. She didn't know what she wanted to do for her career. She she hung on to Christian because that was like her constant, even if it wasn't a good constant. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this this movie served as a journey. You could almost just like her mental journey through dealing with grief, dealing with loss, and then figuring out what she wanted to do or what she felt like she needed to get out of life. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. And for me, this one was a 7.6 out of 10. Okay. Moving on to number six, I am going to start the Stephen King trend for myself at least, and say Pet Cemetery, directed by I'm not sorry, not Andre Overdahl, skipped one, <laughs> directed by Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Wildmer. So Pet Cemetery, uh, originally a 1983 novel by Stephen King, has already been adapted back in 1989, and a lot of people were fans of that adaptation Uh, in fact stephen king has come out and said that adaptation is the only adaptation of his work that has truly scared him so i thought that was kind of interesting yeah very much so because he famously has problems with a good amount of his adaptations so (laughs) um so this is a uh, people most people kind of know the general concept of this uh so it's it's uh, the concept is it's a family moving into a kind of isolated location uh they immediately befriend a neighbor and then they find out that they have moved into some land with some nearby interesting features and one of those features is a cemetery for pets um, where unfortunately those, or fortunately, I guess it depends on your perspective, those <laughs> pets don't go there to die, but they go there to find another life. And, and you know, Eric, sometimes dead is better. Dead. Oh. Nailed, nailed it. <laughs> Would you want me to repeat the quote? <laughs> I said dead, or is, dead is better dead. No, it's just dead is better. Oh. <laughs> Failed. Oof. That's that okay. was a, a, a teamwork kind of flub right there. Um, so anywho, <laughs> uh, John Lithgow, he plays neighbor Judd. I think he he knocks it out of the park. He does a very convincing job as the, the concerned, friendly, I know more than I should, and I'm transferring this knowledge on to you, neighbor. Um, 
And I think, so they took a bunch of liberties in this movie, uh, plot-wise, that went against both the book and against the 1989 adaptation. For me, I didn't care because I haven't read the book, and it's been a long time since I saw the adaptation. Uh, I came out of this movie thinking, wow, that movie was actually scary as shit. (laughs) There are a lot of scenes that are just uncomfortable uh the uh best character i think everybody agrees from the original was zelda which mm-hmm. is the um mother the main mother who played uh, his name is rachel uh her sister who was constantly ill she dealt with birth defects and she had all sorts of problems she was bedridden and rachel had been always afflicted by like memories of taking care of Zelda when her parents weren't home. And then actually that ended up being resulting in Zelda's death. So they Which got, is, that's like a horrifying thing to consider for a little girl to then cope with as an adult. Oh yeah. And they, uh, they take advantage of that and torment Rachel's psyche. Hella with uh, a oh, pr- yeah. pretty cool use of um, dumb writers. So um, very cool. And one thing I, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Cause I got, uh, I mean, if you haven't seen the movie, I got a pretty big portion of it spoiled by someone claiming like to be saying an innocent comment. Um, I think some of the diversions from the original and from the book they did actually hit pretty well for me. And I think could have been really shocking and interesting had I not been spoiled a little bit. Mm. But I thought this movie was pretty good. Uh, I, I didn't like it quite as much as Eric. It felt kind of more in my uh, 15 to 20 range, but uh, I thought it was a, pr- a pretty darn good adaptation. Oh, good. And with that, with that being said, I gave Pet Cemetery an 8.1 out of 10. All right. Okay, so my number five is going to be continuing on that Stephen King trend. I've got Dr. Sleep by director Mike Flanagan, who we cannot talk about enough on this podcast. Always singing his praises, whether it's The Haunting of Hill House, Gerald's Game, Hush, Oculus, Before I Wake, whatever, whatever fancy you have of his he is just pretty much he's hitting he is the overweight uh little league player just hitting dinger after dinger after dinger uh keisha and keisha phillips yeah and we're, we're struggling to just jump up at the fence and catch him because if we anytime you do you're just having a great time so uh this was another this is one honestly i was i was nervous for uh, i like mike flanagan so much i have so much trust in him that based off my like I read the book. I really, I actually liked the book quite a bit. A lot of people didn't as much, but I just I thought it would be so hard to adapt. It was a pretty long book. I think a lot of it's fluff that doesn't translate to a movie. I thought the villains weren't going to be be able to be portrayed and be sinister. Um, watching this movie, ninety nine percent of those concerns were just rushed away because Mike Flanagan I thought did an excellent job narrowing this story really focusing on uh, especially the beginning of the the plight of Danny um, kind of dealing with the aftermath of the overlook and how that's bleeding into his life as an adult and then man I just for adapting a Stephen King uh, book it's you know a relatively decisive book as a follow-up to The Shining one of the most well-known movies of all time Wow, like I just thought he did such a good job because then he also does a lot of melding between the Shining book, 
the Shining movie, which are very different, and then the actual Doctor Sleep book. So he's kind of weaving a narrative of all three together so they can meet in a natural way. And I just thought he did a great job. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, this movie hasn't shown up on my list for a reason. It's it's going to be uh, pretty high up there, spoiler alert. Um I, I don't know if I should just say what I want to say now or save it. I'll just say it now. Yeah, this movie shocked the shit out of me. We went and saw it, Alex and I, with a couple buddies, and I went in with basically no expectations. I hadn't read the book. I am one of the few people who didn't love The Shining. I just I was like, yeah, it was pretty solid. Um, hadn't seen The Shining in probably a decade or close to a decade at that point, and this movie was just pure and totally captivating. From the second I sat down, I was instantly hooked. I thought the plot was really cool. I thought they did a great job with the villains. I thought the visuals for how like the villains conducted their villain villainy villainy yeah villainy we'll villainy, villainy looked great. Um, I thought the um, initial fight scenes were really really cool how like the, the mental the mental battles how they combined the mental and the physical and then uh i also I, I just really liked the general idea of how i guess so i i was unfamiliar with the concept but i really like where they took how the shining worked how it connected you to other people with the shining how um people's abilities varied and they had different adaptations and portrayals of what that looked like to each individual. I just mm -hmm. thought it was cool as shit. Um, yeah. This was a really, really good movie to me. And I, I'll just go ahead and say it since we're already doing a review, but this ended up as my number one movie of the year. All right. And a couple more things I wanted to touch on. I thought, so the one thing I was saying, I didn't think the villains, the true not, were going to be developed as creepy enough and legitimately menacing. But then the brutality of the scene between them and, I'll just say, Baseball Boy, like, my goodness. I was not expecting them to commit as hard as they did, but I'm glad they did because that just set the stage of how sinister, how dark, how just like past humanity these people have become. And I just thought it was so well done and i thought danny reeve yeah i'm not gonna do too many spoilers here so i'm just gonna leave it at that i'll say 8.0 out of 10 uh this is a movie i just really liked all right moving on to my number five a movie we've already touched on scary stories to tell in the dark by andre overdahl um kind of similar to dr sleep how i just mentioned this was also a movie that instantly captivated me um as i mentioned earlier I thought the plot was just super, super fun. Um, it's, I thought they did an excellent job with bringing in the supposed villain and then giving it a, like an understandably fun backstory to kind of play along with. Mm -hmm. um, and like, like you said, this isn't, everybody's going to be at least quasi familiar with some of the stories that you end up seeing in the film, even if you haven't read the original books. Um, and so just seeing little nods like that and you can, this makes you, it makes you picture like when you were little and you would either be at a campfire hearing stories or um, like if you had a cool fourth grade teacher who just turned the lights off and read scary stories to you for an hour or something, it just reminds you of those days. Cause like the stories themselves are meant to be kind of childish and spooky to children but then uh adulting them or adulticizing them into actual <laughs> terrifying 
stories <laughs> that are happening to the real people is a is it's a really fun twist on it. Yep, I absolutely agree. Um, and I think that's all I had written about it. We kind of covered most of it when you talked about it, right? So I'll go ahead and go in my rating. My rating for scary story, scary stories to tell in the dark was eight point two out of ten. Nice. Okay, number four. This is one I just watched. Uh, let's see, about five days ago. This is going to be The Lighthouse by director Robert Eggers. And Eric, I want to I want to hit you with this because I think I guess you haven't seen this movie yet. But start of their careers in horror, we've got Robert Eggers with The Witch and The Lighthouse as his first two versus Ari Aster with Hereditary and Midsummer. Mm. My goodness, have you ever seen two guys come out with critically acclaimed movies like these back to back and just really nail it their first two goes what about jordan peele oh and jordan peele we'll <laughs> add jordan peele to the mix I, I forgot about jordan peele but i think what well, the reason i identified those two together i think because they have a fairly similar tone mm-hmm. you haven't seen the lighthouse but if you kind of think about the witch or maybe not tone but just there's some sort of feeling that they share no i i get you completely yeah the both both their styles uh just unique uh, it's it's especially um, Ari Aster, even though uh, even though Hereditary and Midsummer are completely different movies, you can point out a lot of similarities at least tonality wise between like the main characters and how they how they move about and like the isolation and plain sight that all of the characters kind of have in all of those movies. Uh, it's yeah, it's he's he's growing, he's blossomed into a unique. Uh, what's what's one of those uh, butterfly that aren't super common? Uh, I, you're asking me to name a butterfly that's not super common, dude. You went to school and majored in biology. Yeah, I, I, I did nothing with that degree. I don't. I remember very little of it. Okay, I'll just say uh, blue spotted butterfly. All right. Uh, okay, so moving on to the lighthouse. So this was just a movie that was absolutely driven by amazing performances by the two leads, and that's uh, William Defoe and Robert Pattinson. Uh, so Robert Pattinson of Twilight fame, I don't think. Uh, if you haven't seen him in too much, you just kind of expect a, maybe a you know actor without much range or just much ability. But you see him in some of his good roles, like he's had a couple, but this one I think just exemplifies how good he can be. Uh, this movie has just the simplicity of the visual presentation. It's uh, black and light, limited scenery. A majority of it is set at this old-timey lighthouse, and then it's paired with an incredible sound design where you're getting a bunch of like fog horns and boat noises and waves splashing in the background. It's just incredibly atmospheric. Uh, man, it's just so ominous the way it builds sound and kind of builds the sense of... Not, I don't want to say lunacy, but sense of like just unease. You have this sense of an unreliable narrator that continues to build. There's a man, there's some scenes that are just so intense, but I know you haven't seen it, so I'm going to keep my thoughts fairly brief here because I want you to go into this one pretty fresh. Uh, this did also benefit from some timely comedy that I think really added to uh, allow for the you know, it wasn't just all bleak and dreary the whole time, it had some punctuations of comedy and that was fun so this was just a very good watch and definitely one that i really recommend from this year this one definitely is slow burn very very similar feeling to the witch uh just incredible acting performances by defoe and pattinson and you just really get immersed in the story so this is an 8.1 out of 10 yeah definitely one i'll be looking for um 
I, I don't know. I've, I always liked Robert Pattinson. I mean, obviously he got cast in like one of the worst franchises of all time, but I don't think that was his fault. I think he's been a pretty solid actor. So definitely interested in that. And, uh, I'm also, I also am a William Defoe fan. When I get trivia questions about him, I typically get those right. Well, that we, we didn't have to say that there because that got cut if you don't remember. <laughs> anywho, um, that was one thing I noticed from our Ready or Not podcast is I said anywho maybe 17 times. Oh, you said anywho quite a few times. Yeah, but that bridges us into my next movie, which is Ready or Not. <laughs> <laughs> so that is my number four movie of the year. Alex and I just did a Stumbling Scared podcast on Ready or Not. We watched it uh, Christmas Eve, I believe. And I uh, had a fun podcast about it, but just a little quick recap here. Directed by Matt Bedellini Open and Tyler Gillett. Uh, this is a horror comedy that I was super interested in from the first time I saw the trailer. Uh, it looked super fun. The clear basic premise from those trailers is that a bride-to-be on her wedding night gets thrown into a hide-and-seek game that we quickly find out Um the prize is if you are successful, you get to keep your life. If not, not so lucky. So so pr- pretty pretty high stakes, Eric, wouldn't you say? You could say that. I mean, it's no shot, but uh, yeah. <laughs> the highest of stakes is the alcoholic-based bet. Um, but yeah, I would say they're definitely second, probably second stakes there. Um, and this movie delivers. It's, it's a lot of fun. If you want to hear us talk about it for an hour... <laughs> click on yeah. the previous podcast which i think it's a fun listen uh i would, I would also add um samara weaving as grace was just like the most likable easy to root for final girl for me since aaron from your next who i also loved so very similar vein to aaron from your next we're just resilient uh strong and uh just a no-nonsense uh badass final girl yeah definitely um this movie's got some cool sound to it i always appreciate a fun soundtrack and this especially personalized soundtrack like the uh the record player the record player like jeepers creepers all that shit that's just like getting me into the moment by saying like the title of the movie i'm just like oh shit i'm a basic bitch i love this (laughs) but uh, anyway uh so i don't remember what drunk eric gave this but on thinking of it i gave it an 8.3 out of 10 nice and i'll be touching on it pretty soon so uh it's going to be after this one, though, because I'm going to go to my number three first. So my number three is one that I was so excited for, uh, just a huge follow-up to one of my favorite books, kind of one of my favorite world universes of all time, and that's going to be It Chapter 2, Andy Muschietti. You know him from Mama. You know him from It Chapter 1. This was episode 24 of our podcast. Um, so, yeah, just like I said, huge fan of the book. I think both Chapter 1 and Chapter 2 really did a great job capturing the spirit of both like the Losers Club and just the permeating evil of dairy that comes from Pennywise's inhabitants. I think I, I saw a lot of people online saying it didn't capture that feeling for them. And I, I just feel bad that 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 didn't work for everybody because to me it did so well and as such a big fan i wish it connected for everybody because that the reason the way it connected for me just made me like it so much the and not everything about with the movie was perfect i think this movie i i definitely can't 
objectively, if I wasn't a huge fan of it, just objectively say this was an amazing movie. I think there were certainly flaws, but since I'm such a big fan of the book, it connected so strongly with me. It's just one of my favorites of the year. Uh, I think the humor they used a little too much at times, but worked in a ton of situations and I think helped build to the relationship between the adult Losers Club characters. And I think it really made them feel like a cohesive group. So I think the humor was huge there. And then something that I was not expecting, my favorite scene from either movie was a 100% original scene for the movie that was not in the book, was not in It Chapter 1, which seemingly would have fit better in It Chapter 1, they decided, decided to remind us, um, Andy Muschietti decided to remind us how terrifying Pennywise and his just general being is with his scene with the little girl under the bleachers at the softball game or the baseball game. My goodness, was that scene amazing. And that, like, that to me, that scene and, like, that, what they built with that was better than... The original 90s miniseries was better than anything I could have hoped because that just represented like how I feel Pennywise is and what that is in the book. And like to me, it's just such an important you know piece of fiction or just pop culture that I've been you know a fan of for so long. It just it delivered so well for me. Yeah, you couldn't be more right. That <clears throat> scene just breaks down the epitome of what Derry Maine is in these novels and these movies. It's it's adults who kind of don't care about their daughter who's like not feeling well and says, Yeah, hey, walk it off and then immediately scooped up after a really cool lighting scene and then you get the apprehensive, um, friendly Pennywise leading into the absolutely absurd monster he is. Yeah. Just yeah, the manipulation, the level of kind of like why he can trap kids and what he means to kids like my goodness it was just so good and you know he's not going to but bill skarsgård for some of the things he did with pennywise i i literally cannot imagine another actor doing what he did and doing it as well like he's not going to get awards he's not going to get a ton of recognition i think a lot of people are like oh yeah he was really good but just almost incredible how just even the facial control, the slight gestures, the kind of dead look in his eyes, like the, the, just the small things he did to really sell that character, just o- almost indescribably incredible. Yeah, I agree completely. And one thing that <coughs> at least I felt from watching this movie is that it really gave me closure on this series. Like, I really enjoyed part one of the 1990 miniseries, but I didn't really like how it ended. Uh, at the very least I can say with this movie is that it gave me very good closure and wrapped up this entire franchise in a way that I'm completely happy with. I don't yeah. don't feel like I need to see more. I don't feel like they did it in a way that was uh, untrue to the story. You could maybe argue that. But I thought they put a, a, nice, a nice bow on the package that was it. Yeah, absolutely agree. So this is one that I gave an 8.3 out of 10. All right. My number three is going to be potentially an underrated movie, but one that I really fell in love with right after watching, uh, and that is going to be The Perfection by Richard Shepard. This is a movie that was released directly onto Netflix. It starred Allison Williams as Charlotte and Logan Browning as Lizzie and Steven Weber as Anton. Uh, For those of you unfamiliar with the concept of this movie, um, Anton is a uh, prominent director at an elite uh, musical academy. 
and seemingly specifically for the cello. And our two lead characters, Allison Williams and Logan Browning, uh, both play cello at this academy. And what this movie does is, so I, I fell in love with Allison Williams um, when she played one of the most uh, absurdly, calculatingly cruel characters in Get Out. Um, she ate her cereal and milk separately, for gosh sakes. Yeah, that's a meme I don't really like. But uh, <laughs> this is the scene where she's fumbling for her keys and then she her face I'm changes. not really going to give you these am I? Her face yeah. She uh, she she won me over and that's it's immediately when you watch this movie you think to those kind of scenes because pretty early on we are thrust into situations where we have no idea who's trustworthy uh, and we we don't really know in which perspective we're seeing things play out. Um, and it bounces back and forth multiple times. You go from one side to the other, to the other, to the other. It's a very much a psychological, thrilling movie. And I think Allison Williams and actually uh, Logan Browning even both uh, do their share in carrying an incredibly well-acted movie into... It's not even like... Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say the story is uncomplex, but it's a pretty simple idea that's just super well-acted. Uh, they do an incredible job of building up the suspense. And they do a really, really good job of keeping you guessing. Like, we watched this movie together, and I think, like, 45 minutes or an hour in, we had paused it, and I just turned to you and said, I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> and so that's 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 the kind of movie that's super fun to watch, keeps you on your toes, and uh, I think it delivers with its, its, its final act and is a very satisfying ending for how it was built up. Yeah, I I definitely like this one a lot. This was one of my um one of my honorable mentions I talked briefly about and yeah, a lot I pretty much agree with everything Eric said. This is one that we watched together and I think we actually split it up between two days, but at the end of day one, I would say we maybe had an idea where it was going. And by the end of day two, we were like, oh, we were really stupid. <laughs> we had no idea where it was going. And that was just a fun ride. So it was a very entertaining movie. And I think the uh, Eric was talking earlier about how you know movies with good soundtracks can really set the stage. And this is one that I still pull up the uh, song, kind of the final song, cello song performance every now and then just to listen to. Because it was so cool. And I think it fit with a horror movie perfectly. Yeah. Uh, this garnered uh, same score as Ready or Not for Me, which is an 8.3 out of 10. All right. Speaking of Ready or Not, Eric, I probably won't add too much more to what you were saying, but this is my number two. This is, like he said, director Matt Bettinelli, Open, and Tyler Gillett, who are the duo director of VHS, uh, kind of culty, classic, uh, uh, I was going to say ensemble, but not ensemble, compilation movie, I guess. Uh, so this is episode 27 of our podcast, Stumbling Scared, like Eric mentioned. Man, man, man. This is a horror comedy that just didn't really deviate from what you'd expect, but delivered so well on it. Had a very good time watching it. Samara Weaving, like I said, was just a phenomenal final girl. And just had a really incredible ending that I was not expecting. <laughs> I think the ending was just kind of perfect. Just uh, very good. So this is a very, very good movie. And I gave it an 8.4. Nice. Um, another movie we're going to breeze through because we just talked about it. My number two movie of the year is It Chapter Two. Uh, not much else to say that hasn't already been said. I really appreciated this movie. Um, I, I I hope I hope this 
I, I don't know what I was trying to say. I don't even know what I'm trying to think. Um, I hope that we continue to see, if we continue to see remakes, I hope they're in the vein of It Chapter 2 and It Chapter 1, where they feel fresh themselves while also doing justice to the original. Uh, we don't need to see more bullshit where it just completely rehashes stuff. Um, people, it, it, just, it gets people, that's just pure ammunition for people to talk about how they don't respect the horror genre. It's just the same old thing. Fred, uh, it's, it's Jason killing another co-ed. It's Freddy doing bullshit Freddy stuff. It's, <laughs> it's, we're we're more, more of a genre than that. Not to say that those movies aren't fun, <laughs> but I think the genre deserves a whole hell of a lot more respect than that. Uh, and pretty much every director that we've talked so far talked about so far today is reason why the genre deserves that much more respect so movies like it chapter two uh adaptations like pet cemetery like uh dr sleep that's the kind of things that are going to continue to propel this genre into uh the 2020s feels weird to say but that's where we're at no i i agree i'm i was very happy with it i think Trying to be original with a remake or a kind of a re, uh, new adaptation is extremely important. I think they, they really nailed it. All right. Speaking of nailed it, I gave this an 8.6 out of 10. Woohoo! Nice. Okay. So I'm going to get into my last one. So I had one of my honorable mentions that ended up being number two for Eric. And so kind of a similar spread here. His number 10, I believe, is going to be my number one. This is Jordan Peele's Us. So whew, out of the gate, I'm going to be up front with you. I haven't actually seen it since I saw it in theaters originally. That would have been back, I think, in like February or March. Uh, I saw this in Switzerland. My wife and I were two of two people in the movie theater, which I think added to the experience a little bit. Um, so this is just something... I don't even know how to describe it, but there's something with the cinematography and, and how the movie was shot that like even the opening scene walking through the boardwalk, I thought like it was just it looked beautiful. Like it looked like incredible to me. I thought the cinematography was great. And then that continues throughout it with specific scenes, but just almost in general, I think it's just shot extremely well. I think the use of I Got Five on it as a recurring motif and then a development of how the song evolves to kind of fit into a new, uh, just change into a new way so it then stages this dance ballet fight scene was just simply beautiful. I, I've never been in a theater before, almost in awe of what I'm watching because I, I just, I wasn't, I almost wasn't ready for it. I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting the level of intricacy and just kind of amazement that they were able to draw from the simple tweaks they made to the song to really make it its own thing, but also kind of just play into how that story plays its out itself. I'm, I'm rambling here, but like, I'm, I'm really just trying to say, you know, cause I got five on it was so important for, uh, for Adelaide when she was teaching her daughter. And then you have the twisted version that becomes the Ballad of Red and having those two merging together and fusing to create this like own individual sound is just, oh my God, that scene just like was, was probably my, no, I'm just going to say it was my favorite cinema experience at all. That specific scene, I didn't want it to end. I was just watching like wide eyed and never have I ever left a theater 
wanting to see a movie immediately, like right away as much as that. Ironic because I didn't actually end up seeing it again, but like <laughs> the, fe- the feeling was there. Like in just so, so many of the small things with how just the plot developed and the kind of the clear statements Jordan Peele was making. Like, I think there was a pretty clear message about some classism and the disadvantaged people in society, but just so many things in this movie I thought were amazing. And I just really wanted to emphasize like my favorite part, which was that culminating scene with the, I got five on it remake. And man, I'm just getting worked up thinking about it. Yeah. It's incredibly well said. I do have one thing I took a slight issue with, uh, you said you've you can't picture another time where you were in a movie theater and just pure, pure awe. Uh oh. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I recall you sitting right next to me for 47 meters down on cage. <laughs> the the final scene. I knew that was where it was going. Um, that's fair. That's probably my number two moment. <laughs> okay. And so what uh, what did you end up giving this as a rating, Al? A nine out of ten, a nine point Wow, let's go. That's one of my. I mean, I I don't give out above nines very liberally. There's, I'd say there's, man, I'd, I'd have to think, but there's for sure less than twenty movies. I'd say probably closer to ten that, or between nine and ten for me. Do you have anything you can clearly point to as a ten? Um, I've got one. If it helps, I've got a couple that are really close. Um. Pan's Labyrinth is really close for me. Uh, 12 Angry Men is really close for me. Mm. Um, I've got a couple. Let me think. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. Stand By Me. Okay. There's a couple that are really close. The The horror one that always jumps out for me is The Exorcist. Oh, were you going horror movie? Was that your question? <laughs> well, I mean, but I don't know. It helps kind of frame frame the opinion anyway, so I appreciate well, the, the longer the, answer. The descent, the descent is probably really close for me as well. That's like a... See, the Descent, I wouldn't give a 10, though. I don't know if I'd give any horror movies a 10, actually. For sure, like a high 9, though. Okay. All right. Um, so with that being said, let me move on to my final movie. It's been one we've already discussed a decent amount. Uh, it's Dr. Sleep. I already mentioned it. Mike Flanagan. Uh, it just This movie, it, uh, it, uh, it rocked my world, simply said. I had very little expectations, and those expectations were completely blown out of the water. This is a movie that I I came out of it. I'm like we were talking about it. I I just was like that movie was fucking good. <laughs> it's 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 kind of movie that like I don't know. It just it shocked me how much I liked it. And rarely these days, seeing as how many movies I've seen, am I shocked by how much I like a movie. So whatever it was, if whatever reason it was for that day, maybe I was just in a chipper mood. Maybe the movie truly spoke to me on a secondary level that rarely happens. Either way, uh, it was brilliantly directed, super fun villains, uh, well acted, and just a really, really fun movie. It's it's people hate me for it, but I liked it a lot more than The Shining. Um, <laughs> I, I hate you a little bit for it. So. And uh, I gave this movie a nine point four out of ten. Wow, nine point four. Okay, let's go. Let's get after it. I like that. This was also, I think, a movie that was a little contentious at times i think some people just really didn't vibe with it but i think it did actually get much better critical reception than i was expecting just based off my own reservations so i was happy to see that a lot of people did end up liking it yeah for sure and as always we this is a podcast that um it's very easy to kind of feel vulnerable as you're making your list because like you this you don't want to like you want to stick out, but at the same time, you don't want to be the guy who just like the one guy who gave Get Out a negative <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes right. review. Um, so it's, you got to find that balance. But at the end of the day, I mean, 
you like what you like. It's You can't really base your opinions on what you read online, on critical consensus, on average IMDb scores. If you liked it, you liked it. Who gives a shit if you've got a um, movie like Harpoon or 47 Meters Down at the top of your list? And who cares yeah, I mean, Who the, cares if you didn't like It Chapter 2 or Ready or Not? It, it's, it's, it's plenty of people didn't, so yeah. you're not alone. And just because we – you know, some people might have uh, – Happy Death Day to You is one of their favorites of the year. I mean, just because we didn't like something doesn't mean it's bad. And just because we like something a lot doesn't mean it's great. I mean, at times it does. But uh, I mean, it doesn't mean that it's for you. You might not like it. And that's also another thing, though. Just because you don't like something doesn't mean it's bad. Like, you can not like something that's objectively not bad. But I mean, if it's just not for you, you don't have to like it. You don't have to just pretend like you like it and vice versa. You don't have to pretend you dislike something that most people consider bad. It might not be objectively bad. Just, Mm -hmm. you know. Like you, like Eric said, like what you like. Yeah, this that's one of my favorite parts of the horror genre is having such a large catalog of like things to look at when you're judging somebody's like taste. Uh, like I'm always trying to find that one person whose taste mirrors me. Like I'll see a bunch of movies that we both really like, like The Descent, and uh, um, I don't know. Uh, the exorcist and all that stuff and then i'm like okay we could be best friends and then they've got like jaws four out of ten and like okay this guy sucks ass now or they, or they have like pr- the pretty thing that lives in the house at like 9.5 <laughs> yeah it's i saw like, someone who, the other day who was who, at like a pretty it's like a pretty uh, good list of like recent movies he was like recommending to someone and that was like his third one but the other six were great i'm like wait you i i completely agree with you on six out of seven <laughs> yeah. but what are you doing on it's, this it's one? like one of those old-fashioned science fiction movies where you're trying to clone somebody and you get like 95 percent of the dna cloned <laughs> then just like breaks off and then there's like five like percent rabbit dna or some bullshit yeah you, like, you, you oh, get a rabbit to jump in the you get a rabbit to jump into the last second you get like one rabbit ear yeah or something. and so it's like oh the rabbit likes the pretty thing that lives in the house <laughs> yeah oh man eric i don't know about you i actually i, mean, I had a really good time with the podcast i'm super too, but I don't know about you, but I'm actually a little bit excited to take a break from recent movies and jump into some older ones because I've been focused for sure more on trying to get some more 2019 movies in. So I'm actually pretty looking forward to dropping back and hitting either some classics I love or getting some old ones that I just haven't been able to watch yet. Because oh, there's yeah. definitely some older ones that have been on my list to, to knock through. So I'm excited. Yeah, it's about time for us to do an old fashioned uh, franchise review. So I think we are probably going to have a couple of those on deck in 2020. Very excited. Yeah, that for sounds those. super fun. Yeah, in 2020, man, first year of podcasting. It's I know it's not a full year, but it's been a calendar year. Uh, I think we started in Jan or Feb, so we're getting actually close to a full year. It's been a fun ride. This is actually podcast number 27, I believe. So we've ended up averaging a little more than... uh a little more than uh, tw- two a month, which I think is pretty solid. So I'm actually, I've had a really good time and I'm uh, pretty excited for the future of Jumping Scared. And I hope you guys stay with us and enjoy that with us too. Thanks for tuning in to the Jumping Scared podcast. Have any questions, comments, just want to share your horror movie opinions with us? Feel free to reach us at Jumping Scared Podcast on Twitter or by email, jumpingscared at gmail.com. See you next episode.